Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. All right, happy Father's Day to all the dads in here and spiritual dads. And uh, hey, I I grew up in a house where, you know, uh, my house was broken uh, my dad probably wasn't much of a dad when I was a kid, and I know that through the church, I mean, even part of, hey, my, my ministry and the ministry God's called me to is tied up in, in a lot of the story of my own father, because uh, my first church was called Restoration Church, and I love to see how God brought restoration to my dad uh, as uh, in his latter days. And uh, even today, I'm reminded when Pastor Larry and I were talking with Crossroads Community Church and I were talking about restarting uh, a church uh, in the middle of the pandemic, we talked about names. Actually, Ken, Larry, and I sat down at lunch uh, and we, we listed some names out and Family Church was in the top five on each of our lists and uh, it wasn't even number one on my list, you know. Yeah, something silly. I don't know. Last Baptist Church in New Orleans or something like that. You know, like uh, everybody wants to be first. You know, the Bible says we should be last. That's my joke. You know, so um, but family church came up and we talked about how God calls us to be family, how God created the nuclear family and how God blesses the nuclear family and how, how through the nuclear family we are called furthermore to be spiritual family. Did you grow up in church where you called brother and sister and like you called, uh, it was a term of endearment. And, uh, and so I know growing up in a church, Father's Day rolled around. It was, always a, it was always a stinging point to me. But I got to be reminded of not only the earthly father that my heavenly father blessed me with who was imperfect, but I got to be reminded of all the spiritual fathers that God the Father put in my life. I was reminded of my grandfather. I was reminded of my Uncle Chuck. I was reminded of my childhood pastor, Buford Easley. I was reminded of my youth pastor, Rick White, who was more of a maybe a bigger brother, but he fathered in certain ways. I, I was reminded of men like Tommy Henserling and Johnny Johnson and men to this day who are still involved at the church I grew up in and still call and check on me. And I, and I hope to, that today, as we open up the book of Revelation and we talk about, because we're going to talk about the enemy today. We're going to talk about the devil. And I made the joke about Father's Day. We're talking about the devil. You know, um, I think too often, y'all know Mother's Day, we're like, oh, thank you. We, you know, we got, praise God for you. And then Father's Day, we're like, men, step up. You know, about, you know like, and that's not the tone we're going to take today because God has blessed this church. God has blessed this church with some godly men, with some godly men. And you know what? You're not perfect. And I know I'm the pastor. I know Mike's the pastor. But if you followed us around, you would notice we're not perfect. And there's only one who is. It's our Heavenly Father, right? And uh, so let's be reminded today of the gift that we have in a father and how the gift of the Father allows us to live in that power, that power of the blood, all right, that we just sung about. Like, that's an oxymoron. How is blood power? But it's powerful because, like Mike read, they conquered him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. 
So let's open up God's Word today. We're, our sermon series is entitled, The War is Over. This is part two of The War is Over. If you need to catch up, I know we have a podcast. You can get that on our website at jointhefamily.church. And you can, you can catch up with the first uh, part of this Revelation series. And today we're looking at the enemy. Because when you get at the book of Revelation, you ultimately you got to look at the enemy. Because the book of Revelation is a war of words, like one of my seminary professors used to say. And it's a war of words because the enemy wants to take the truth that God has placed in our lives. He wants to distort it. He wants to lie about it. And he wants us to follow our own paths. And that's what Revelation is about. Uh, anything that you read in the book of Revelation is typically re repeating something that's already been said to God's people. And so what you're seeing here is this is a letter, a letter that's written to seven churches. And this letter is also a word of prophecy about what has been and what God's truth is and what is to come. And let us not forget, as we're talking today about beasts and, and dragons and things like this, we're not reading a book about the Lord of the Rings. We're reading God's word. And God's word here, John is writing in the form of apocalypse which an apocalyptic writing is something that uses symbols. You'll read about signs. And, you, you know, sometimes you read stuff, oh, it's a sign of the times. Well, sign, biblically, just means a symbol. And so what we're seeing here is that these, this is a sign. And this is, these are signs and symbols of all time where evil is after God's people. Evil is after you and me. So let's look today at who that evil is, so we can stare evil in the face and conquer him, right? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And here's the big idea. I'll give it to you up front. Christ conquered the enemy. Notice I didn't say Christ conquers the enemy. He, the enemy's all already been conquered. He is conquered, and he will be conquered. Christ conquered the enemy. Hopefully if you leave today and people, maybe you have conversations with about Revelation with other people and there are many, many disagreements and I get that. Uh, uh, we were talking about what Paul Washer watching a video on him, Mr. Sam, you know, and, and I would encourage, there's a, guy, a pastor in Texas named Matt Chandler, does a really good job at the sermon series. But notice this, you will never, never, never Hear the message of Revelation without knowing this. Christ has conquered the enemy. Amen. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ to his people, the church. So let's look at Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to read 12 and 13 together. Uh, we're going to start out by reading all of chapter 12, 17 verses. And a great sign, I told you a sign in the Greek also means symbol. So a great sign or symbol appeared in heaven. Now think about this. As we read this, this is going to sound a whole lot like the Christmas story. But it's going, to, it's going to seem a little different. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red, red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head, seven diadems. I'll, I'll stop real quick to say, let's not get too lost in this here. 
This is a, a, this is a story. Israel interpreted a woman in, in birth and in child, in child like pain of childbearing. Israel interpreted it as God's people or Israel. What we see here is that in the book of Genesis, we, we see that, that Joseph gets this vision in Genesis 37. And in the vision, it says, Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Same type of symbology you hear talking about this woman uh, in, in childbirth and in pain. And in Joseph's dream in the book of Genesis, the 11 stars were his 11 brothers and the 12th was him. And so it represented God's people. It represented Israel. Now the Catholic Church has interpreted this woman as Mary. The Protestant Church has interpreted this woman as the church. I would say, in fact, we could look at all of them. We could look at all of them, and we could say that this is likely a, a symbolic representation of Mary in childbirth. And Because here's the thing. I love Eugene Peterson that said that Jesus' birth, think about this when we think about the Christmas story, Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It also excites evil. Because the enemy did not want Christ to be incarnated. Remember that, right? The enemy used Herod to go after the firstborn son, right? The enemy was after God's redemption story, God's restoration story. His very son incarnated, fully God and fully man. He was after him from the very time. And you know what? The enemy... The enemy thought he won on the cross, right? When God's people put him to death on the cross. But the enemy didn't win because what, what happened three days later? Jesus kicked the grave open. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. So let's not forget that, that even all of, all of God's story is a, a story of good overcoming evil. Behold a great red dragon, into verse 3, with seven heads... What he's doing here, seven represents perfection. What he's doing here is he's mimicking perfection. How often does the enemy try to convince you that he's God and that he has control and fear and worry come into play? And horns represent power, and there's ten horns. That's a lot of power. And on his head, seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them down to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her, chi her child, he might devour it. The enemy is not just try didn't just try to devour Jesus Christ. The enemy today is trying to devour all of God's people. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. A shepherd, right, kept a, kept an, a rod, uh, kept both, uh, you know, uh, kept a rod that helped ward off uh, things that wanted to kill sheep. And so what we see here is he's ruling with a rod, and that rod's not wood, that rod is iron. His word is sure, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness. And you're reading right there, you're like, wait, that's not part of the Christmas story. Some interpret it as possibly them fleeing to Egypt. But also, in fact, the wilderness in Scripture represents a time where God's people are living in some uncertainty 
But what happened when Israel was in the wilderness and they were hungry? Manna came down, right, from heaven. The wilderness is a sign that even in trial and in turmoil, God is there. This is why I think it's helpful to, to interpret this as, as, yes, this is a story of Mary, but this is a story of Mary being retold in apocalyptic language to encourage the church. We are a continuation of God's family. And with the woman, he fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. You'll see 42 months or 1,260 days in the book of Revelation. We talked about, I think, with the uh, a couple week, uh, not a few weeks back when we were in, talking about the two witnesses. And what this is, is 42 months, 1,260 days. It's going back to the book of Daniel, which that was the sign of duress that Israel was being interpreted. What did I tell you? Nothing in Revelation is really new under the sun. It's really just re, reinterpreting in an apocalyptic way God's truth to encourage his people. Now the curtain is pulled back a little bit, and John is telling the story on, on a, from, from a different angle. He says, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, right? And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. And who's the dragon? Scripture tells us. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Satan accuses us day and night before God. Christ intercedes for us forever before the throne of God, right? There's one mediator between God and man. It's Christ Jesus. And they've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. And we're about to get to the earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, and he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman who was given two wings. And you're like, wait, this is getting, this is getting weird here, Okay. I know that this is reinterpreting what, not reinterpreting, reinforcing God carried Israel on eagle's wings symbolically. Y'all remember the, the verse in, was it Isaiah chapter 40? I, I forget the verse reference, maybe 31. Look it up, right? We shall mount, right? We shall not grow weary, but we will mount up on what? Eagle's wings, right? Eagle's wings are a sign of provision and protection. And so this woman, the church, is given two eagle's wings, 
of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, the place of nourishment or rest, to the place that she will be nourished for a time and a times and half of a time. And the serpent poured like water out of his mouth after the woman and so swept her away with the flood. But the earth came, this is all symbolic happening here, but the earth came to help the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood as he's standing today on the sand of the sea, ready to pounce on you and me. Here's our first point. Wars against God's people. The enemy wars against God's people. Fathers, today the enemy is after you. Ladies, today the enemy is after you. Kids, today the enemy is after you. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says, at, right after the fall, when, when God calls out the serpent, Adam and Eve, he tells this first to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you, sh you shall bruise his heel. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Many theologians call this the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel. The enemy, the great dragon, the serpent, is after you and me. There's a reason to this day, even serpents and things like that, they're, they're icky to us, right? Laura, this week, uh, Braden's been wanting some sort of slithering something or another to be in his room. And so we went to 50 Fathoms this last week, and uh, Laura's in pain every time we go around, like, yucky things, you know? I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily a big fan of him either, because I know if our son gets one, we're going to be laying on the couch, resting in the living room, and it's going to get thrown on us at some point. I know that that's coming. It's the evil in his heart, you know? Like, it's... It is what it is, you know? And here's the thing. All those things are funny and all that, but it reminds us that there's something there. That Do you notice that maybe you've heard before, maybe, maybe as we were reading this, this kind of brought to memory. Did you ever hear growing up, like, before time began, like, Satan warred with God and, you know, he took a third of the angels with him? You heard that? And cast out of heaven and all that stuff and here's the thing throughout scripture satan's cast down a whole lot he's cast down a whole lot because whenever he tries to climb he's kicked down and in fact we get a lot of that story about satan being cast out of heaven because we got to read this story in the context of what john's telling to the church in the book of revelation we get a lot of that story. I remember Laura, when we first got married, we were talking about this. She was like, where in the Bible does it say that? You know, that story about Satan getting kicked out of heaven. I'm like, well, you know, some people, you know, refer to this story. And then you look up in the book of Isaiah, I think it's the only Old Testament thing where it says, oh, oh, fallen star, you know, how fallen are you? And back in that day, stars represented angels or gods or deities. And so some people interpret that. But it's not crystal clear, and here's why. 
John Milton, in his, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, he tells a story. And that's kind of where we get it from. We kind of get it from there because John Milton kind of used some imagination and he made a story out of it. But here's the reason why it's not crystal clear in Bible. Here's why Satan's biography is not crystal clear in the Bible. The Bible's not about him. It never has been about him. Do you notice, like, Satan's not described in great detail. What we're told is that he's represented here like a dragon, and we see that he's de described in three different ways. He's described as planeo, or the deceiver, which means to wander or lead people astray. He's also, he's also described as the devil, or diablos, which means slanderer. And then he's also called Satan, which means accuser. That's all God says about him. He says he's a deceiver, he's slandering you, and he's going to accuse you. But here's what we have in Jesus Christ, and to be reminded when the enemy wars against us as his people, not only have we conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. I love what Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1. You need to hear this today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, hear this today. He's not in love with a future version of you. He's not. He's in love with you. And when he saved you, he saved past, present, and future you. He's God. When he was on the cross, he knew that you were going to walk the aisle, say the prayer, get dunked. He knew you were going to stray from him. But what he knew is that like every good child, you come back to the Father. You know, is that like my kids are getting older now? They're not too old yet, but they're not necessarily crawling around anymore. And, um, you know, when kids start to learn to walk and they're kind of like stumbling and they come towards their dad, their mom, they stumble. Maybe their hands are at first on like some sort of something holding them up and then they walk a little bit more and then they fall flat on their face. Well, when their kid falls flat on their face, do you just sit there and like laugh at them and spit and, you know, no, what do you do? You pick them up. And you say, keep coming. Keep coming. That's how God is father to us. The enemy wants to accuse. He wants to deceive. He wants to slander. But what our God does is he assures. He fights. He intercedes. And he ultimately tells us, I am here. And I'm not going anywhere. Let's read Revelation 13, 1 through 10. It says, and I saw a beast. So here we go. Here we go. We had the dragon, and now we're going to have two beasts. And these beasts form, Revelation's all about symbols to encourage God's people to faithfulness. These beasts are trying to mimic an unholy trinity. There's three of them, a dragon a sea beast, and a land beast. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're trying to mimic who God is. But what, what, what they ultimately will see is they don't, they don't win. There's only one person who does win. His name is Jesus. So let's keep reading. I saw a beast rising out of the sea, 
with ten horns and seven heads. We talked about that. Horns represent power. That means a lot of power. Seven heads means he's trying to mimic who Jesus is. He's trying to mimic perfection. And ten diadems on the horns and blasphemous names on the heads. You know who else? During this time, that we got to think this was written to seven churches being persecuted by the empire of Rome. And, and the emperors, they claim themselves as gods. Heads represent authority. We'll get to this with the mark here in a moment. Heads represent what you believe, who you are. Ancient Israel, what were they told to do with God's law? Put it on their heads, right? And write it on their heart, you know, and put it on their doorposts, right? And they were called to be reminded all the time. So when they're marked here in a moment on hands and head, what that means is what you believe about who God is and how you carry it out. And so what we see here is that he's trying to mimic who Jesus is, and these blasphemous names are blasphemous because he's not God. He's not Lord. And so we see, and then the beast was what, and and so what we're going to see here is we're going to talk about leopards and lions and bears, oh my, right? Like we're going to talk about all this. And what this is, is literally repeating in the book of Daniel, when Daniel talked about evil coming upon the world. And when Daniel was talking about evil coming upon the world, Daniel, the day of the Lord, was probably Antiochus, who was was persecuting God's people. So here's what this means. It means that evil is incarnated in any sort of kingdom or empire that comes against God and his people. Evil, the beast, maybe and at one time was, maybe even today, you know, a certain nation. Maybe it's the nation that we live in. Maybe it's Rome, maybe it's Babylon, maybe it was any nation that turns against God. Any nation that exalts humanity over creator, I heard this in Matt Chandler's sermon that I was listening to this last week. Any person who elevates humanity over the creator doesn't become more humane. They usually become more bestial. Right? We don't know what man or woman is in our society today. Even though you can look in a mirror and tell. I'm not not trying to laugh at anybody because there are people that are hurting. But we're so confused today, right? We're so confused on what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Is life when you can hear a heartbeat in the womb? Or is life when they scream for the first time? Like we, we have such a hard time defining all these things because even in our own society today, we have elevated humanity or creation over the creator. And, and we do this all saying, oh, we're going to be more humane, but then we become more like the beast. So what we see here is that this beast is coming out of the sea. The sea represents chaos and, and turmoil. And in this time, as I'm going, to, I'm going to get to what Daniel was saying here in a moment, when we tell you that, the, that I saw on the beast, uh, I saw he was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion. And to the dragon... Uh, and to the dragon, he gave his power and his throne and great authority. We see all of this as mimicking what Daniel was warning God's people of in the Old Testament, that 
anyone who embraces their own authority becomes like a beast. And this beast is represented in evil empire that comes against God's people. And in this time, when Revelation was written, that empire was Rome. And on its head seemed to have a mortal wound. He's yet again mimicking Christ, the slaughtered lamb. But with its mortal womb, it was somehow miraculously healed. And the whole earth marveled, and they followed the beast. Think about this. When Jesus rose from the grave, the whole earth should have followed, right? But no, in our human hearts, our evil hearts, when we see the beast do the same, we follow the beast said, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast and said, rather than saying like the Old Testament, who is like the Lord, what do they say? Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth. Why was he given a mouth? Because Revelation's a war of words. It's a war of our confession. What are we going to say in times of trouble? What are we going to say in a world that's in need? And the beast was given a mouth to utter haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it opened its mouth and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is all who dwell in heaven. And also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given to it over tri every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell in the earth will worship. And everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life was slain. Now, when you think of the book of Revelation... I've told you, you've got to think about it through the lens of the seven churches. What does John write? If anyone has a he an ear, let him hear. You know, I heard that refrain over and over for those of us who've been looking at the, at the seven churches. If anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? Conquer. And how do we conquer? We, we conquer him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. If anyone is taken captivity, to captivity it goes. And if anyone is slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. And I love John makes it crystal clear. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. The sea monster represents an evil empire. It's the empires that we build up. It's not on you to figure out what that is in our day. Because Revelation's not a code for you to crack. I want to encourage you with that. Revelation is not a code for you to crack. It's an apocalypse to encourage you. The beast may be Russia. The beast may be Afghanistan. The beast may be North Korea. The beast may be the United States of America. The beast may be Great Britain. It's not, our, it's not our job to figure out who the beast is. Our job is not to follow the beast. That's why even in our, we, we talk about this when, we, when we're, we're kingdom citizens first. I thank God for the United States of America. My, one of my child, two of my childhood friends, one I was very close to, Joseph Bovier, lost 
I hate to be graphic here, but lost part of his head in Afghanistan in the war. I, I, some of you, y'all know, my, another friend of mine, Derek, was taken out by a roadside bomb. We love our country, and I believe our country stands up for good, and we are a patriotic people. But we're not defined by the, Christ, by the American flag, right? We're defined by the Christian flag. Because you know what? There will be Christians from every tribe, nation, and tongue. One day we will gather and there will be Iraqi Christians in heaven for eternity with us. And you know what? There will be empires and nations that are no longer around. Ottoman Empire. Nobody knows who that is today. There will be Christians from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping before the throne of God. The enemy, we need to be reminded to me, is that the enemy wars against God's people, but the enemy wars with evil rule. The enemy wars with evil rule. So we always, we need to look at everything that's unjust in our world. This weekend is both Father's Day and uh, it's, isn't this our first year that Juneteenth, I think, is a national holiday? And so we look at Juneteenth and, and, and Father's Day and we see that both remind us that we have freedom and we have this freedom to rule as fathers righteously, not evil. Let's finish out here because we're, we're getting low on time. Revelation 13 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast. So we had the water beast, which represents evil rule. And here we're going to see a land beast. And then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. Do you see that it's trying to act religiously? It's trying to act like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound had been healed. It performs great signs, even making fire. You ever read something in the Bible about one of God's prophets making fire come down from heaven, Elijah? Just been reading about that in my personal quiet time in the book of 1 Kings perform great signs, trying to mimic even Elijah's power through God, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives all those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image, right? We're not supposed to make carven images. That's a commandment, right? We're not supposed to worship idols, but here's the beast is, is causing them to, 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 to take these images um, of, their, of the image that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was allowed to give breath to the image, to act like the image had life, the breath of the beast, so that the image of the beast could even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain, to be killed. Verse 16. And it causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and the forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark. And that is the name of the beast and the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. I think John was very prophetic and is apocalyptic right here. Because we've all been trying to like blog and all this about what is the mark of the beast. 
he pauses and he said, this calls, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's, no, it's the number of a man, and his number is 666. Let me help you out with what 666 means. 666 is, a, is gematria, and, and that's something they use back in the Greco-Roman world. Gematria is when you assign letters and numbers together. It was, it was symbolic. And in gematria, you take Nero, the emperor of Rome, you take his name, Nero, and you transliterate it from Greek to Hebrew, guess what it comes back as? 666. Nero was probably dead when the book of Revelation was written, but there was a myth out there. Uh, Domitian was probably the emperor. Uh, there's some debate on that, but Domitian, who himself called himself a thundering god, um, Domitian, that, there's a reason why thunder and all that's used in the book of Revelation. It's, it, god is trying to remind his people that these people who claim that they have rule in their own power, they're not rulers. They're fake gods. They're fake gods. And there's only one God. And so 666 meant Nero. And there was, there was a, a myth back then that Nero wasn't really dead. And that Nero was just hiding out. He was going to come back and he was going to claim his throne. Y'all, we have the same thing happening all over the world today. I, I'm, I wasn't alive during World War II. But do y'all know people think that Hitler never died? And went down to Argentina, right? And he's just hiding out. You know, Elvis isn't dead. Y'all know? Like, they're, they're the, same, the same myth repeat. I'm not saying Elvis is 66. Don't, don't read me in that as a joke. Um, it means something lesser than. Seven is perfection. What comes after se before seven? Six. Trinity is three. Perfection is seven, 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 right? Imperfection is six, six, six. So I know y'all watch some horror movies and y'all got you're, you're 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 all crazy. Here's the deal: you don't have to figure it out. And there's no power in that those numbers. There's no power in those numbers. They're numbers that are meant to mock the enemy that he's imperfect. So this is what we see. The enemy wars against God's people. The enemy rules with evil rule. And lastly, the enemy wars with evil religion. Because what did this second beast do? He tried to mimic all of God's power. He tried to mimic and he tried to use the first beast. The first beast was what? Power. First beast in their time was probably Rome, right? So he's trying to use power to carry on his own evil means. And you know what? It still happens in our world today. How many wars and how many good people have been fought in the name of religion? There's people that we know and we love, they refuse to see the goodness of who Jesus is because a lot of evil has been done in his name. In our lifetime, most of us, 
There was a war in Northern Ireland, right? Northern Ireland, you had Catholics and Protestants killing each other. We, we have someone in our church family that grew up in the tragedy of Bosnia, right? And in that time, as Yugoslavia was coming apart, a lot of war was done in the name of Christ. A lot of evil. What the enemy likes to do is he likes to take God, and get this, because it's going to hurt hard for all of you crazy Democrats and Republicans out here, he likes to take God and politics and co-opt them together. The enemy wars against God's people with evil rule and with evil religion. Religion is not a bad word. Evil religion is a bad word. Scripture says, what is true religion? Anybody remember from the book of James, chapter 1? What is it? it? Religion that is good does this. Looks after orphans and widows in their affliction and keeps one unstained from the world. Religion is good when it's all about Jesus. Religion is empty when it's all about anything else. Religion is empty when it becomes about politics. Religion is empty when it becomes about power. In fact, we are called as God's people to lay down our power. I made the joke, last Baptist church, right? You know, we are called to be last. The last shall be first. And the first shall be last. The enemy wars against God's people with evil rule and evil religion. I hope that that's the reminder from God's word today. And I hope because of that reminder, we are reminded that Christ has conquered all of it. And he's conquered all of it for all time. Word of warning of what I just said about politics and power. It does not mean that we don't engage in the politics of where God has placed us. Vote. Pray. Whether it's Trump or Biden or whoever else is next, you pray for whoever's sitting in the highest office in our land. Because at the end of the day, we know that's the highest earthly office. That's not the highest office, right? We're reminded in the New Testament that God, and even in the Old, that God takes away kings and God brings kings. They come and go. You ever read the book of First or Second Kings? Or even the book of Judges, right? How quickly are like the summary of somebody like summed up with they died and the next king came right away. Our time is short. Be reminded through the book of Revelation today that we can't rule in our own power and our own means. We can only rule by turning our eyes completely onto him. And that causes us to lay down everything. And today I want to invite you to join that family and that mission. And Romans 10, 13, and 14 says this, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Get this, not the name of the beast, not the name of the dragon, not the name of the United States of America, not the name of Russia, not the name of anybody, the name of Jesus, right? And at his name, right, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. 
If Revelation is a war of words, let us be reminded, like Paul cries out here, and how will they call upon him that they, if they haven't believed in him? And how will they believe in him if they haven't heard about him? And how are they going to hear about him without a preacher or a better translation of the Greek, someone telling them? How is the world going to hear without hearing it from you and me? And that's the cry here today. Revelation is all about your confession. Are you going to confess the power of the dragon or the beast or the whatever beast you choose? We all have a lot of beasts that we create in our lives. Are we going to trust in that power? Or are we going to trust in the power of the name of Jesus? The one who conquers the enemy. And the one who allows us to stomp on him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word, the word of what? Your testimony. Because they love not their lives even unto death. Let's go today and let's proclaim to a world that desperately needs to hear that Jesus is good. Jesus is here. And Jesus is ready for you and me to lay it all down for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you've conquered by your blood, Lord. We, co- we thank you that you've conquered by the ongoing work of your church. So God, today, help us to be faithful. Help us to respond. Lord, help us to love you passionately and love people personally. Lord, who is in our life today that needs to cry out to Jesus? Even on this Father's Day and and the celebration this week of Juneteenth and freedom, Lord, help us to be reminded who needs authority and who needs freedom in their life. God, send us out today as your people to call people to you in your name for your glory and our good. Jesus, we're here and we're yours. It's in your name we respond. Amen.